I'm Sean Morgan, and I'm asking the hard questions about alternative topics like QAnon and coronavirus. Get the free ebook at QAnonFAQ.com. Okay, I'm here with Paul Ferber, and uh, Paul, you're a researcher, journalist, all kinds of things. Um, you've been on this, my show many times, so welcome today. And uh, I'm just wanted to ask you because we touched on this in the past. The idea of understanding a culture can help you understand geopolitics mm. and like the psychology of, the, of a culture and what motivates yeah. their actions. Specifically, since China is such a huge player right now in this mm. uh, information warfare that's going on, and I, I lived in China and worked in China for a short time, and it was one of the most bizarre experiences of my life. Just turned everything that I know to be normal, all these norms that I come to understand about Western civilization, they were all flipped over and I felt angry all the time because of that. So um, can can you go into this idea of losing face and and how that plays into everything? I I think the biggest biggest division between countries like China, Japan and the West is group versus individual. So... um, in, in, a, in a group culture, you find your identity in, a, in the group. So you show loyalty to the group. Like and in Japan, it's something like, I work for General Electric and right. that's who I am. Yes, exactly. Um, and in, in, in China, you know, being a group culture means, Africa is a group culture by and large. Black, you know, black, uh, black Africa is a group culture. You show loyalty to your tribe. And in return, your tribe protects you and doles out the resources, um, which works very well on a lush but rather dangerous continent where your very survival depends on your loyalty to the group. Um, I see this a lot in South Africa where we have this invisible division that almost nobody understands that white people are individual cultures. So I'm a white Westerner, effectively. Um, you know, I, I've traveled the U.S. And, and the world extensively. I've lived in the U.K. for a period when I was in the Army there. Um, and I'm strongly, a strongly white Western in my thinking, which means I'm an individual culture person. So I value um, individual achievement, self-reliance, um, working in small teams, independence, um, personal achievement, that kind of thing. That is completely foreign to a group culture person. A group culture person values loyalty and the, uh, finding their identity in a group. And this is true in, in China and Japan. Uh, um, China and Japan are both group cultures where the, the concept of finding your identity in the group, um, whether it be the nation, the village, I mean, it's not a 100% one or the other thing. Obviously, you know, I mean, as a, a white Western individual culture, I'm still a rabid Liverpool supporter and have been since birth practically. Um, and I'm still, you know, I'm still an ardent Springbok supporter. So I'm a white, you know, individual culture people tend to be individuals with some group affiliations. Group culture people tend to be loyalty to the group because my survival and my national, my, my personal identity depends on it. So in China, it's actually been fairly straightforward for a small group, the CCP, to control the nation by assuming that level of authority and, and, and um, telling them that their identity 
lies with, as the Chinese nation, lies with the, the Chinese Communist Party. Of course, it's not as easy as just, you know, broadcasting propaganda all day long. You need an iron fist behind that to make sure it gets enforced. But the other... <clears throat> The other interesting cultural – well, the other interesting – not a division because I don't think there is such a – well, there is in the West, but it's, it's the concept of face. So in, 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 in Japan, I believe that it's um, – I cannot remember the terms. I'll have to ask my daughter. She lived in Japan for a year. She did missionary work um, in Ayamori. It's, I think it's tatame versus hone. It's the presentation versus the reality and the – the perception of face is all important. Another, and losing face is very bad. So the Japanese and the Chinese will not, um, you know, you, I mean, I've seen, this, I've seen this in the business world. So a guy goes to Japan and makes a business proposal. Oh, Westerner, so American, will go to Japan and he'll make a business proposal to a potential Japanese business partner. And in the meeting, he hears, yes. What that means is, yes, I hear you. Not, yes, I agree with you. It's, yes, I hear you. Because to say no is unbelievably rude because then you're making the other person lose face. So the concept of not giving offense um, is very important. It's still important um, in some parts of the Middle East as well. where could, the concept sorry, of, could, could this relate to, to tie this into what's going on now? For example, the Chinese say yes to phase one trade deal, but in reality, they're, they're pulling out yeah. all their biggest guns to work against you. Exactly. And, and, and they say, yeah, they've spent literally a billion dollars saying that they're propping up the fact that their country is absolutely fine or presenting the facade that their country is absolutely fine. Not the, you know, and hiding the reality that there's actually now somewhere about four and a half million dead um, and they're in deep trouble up in the Northeast. Hundreds of millions of dollars, all designed to stop them losing face. Um, and yeah, that kind of cultural attitude does have its advantages, but it also it tends to be very vulnerable when reality imposes itself, as it always right. does. I'll give you an example of this. Mm. That before I went to China and lived there and worked there, I had a perception that China was powerful. I had a perception. I had a fear of China. I had a fear that. Yeah. Perhaps this other superpower in the world would overtake us, that, that their military might, technological might, uh, would be a real threat to us. And then when I got there on the ground and actually saw the level of intelligence of the average person, the level of autonomy of the average person, um, they have a million people in their army, but those people are really not a real threat to us because they don't have the ability to make decisions by themselves and coordinate right. by themselves. Uh, so yeah. really, it's only the top 1% of China that's a threat to us. It's not the whole country. Exactly. Whereas that's if you take me on. and you, you know, yeah. let's say that you and I are both American and you give us a gun and we can hmm. go by ourselves, make our own plan, and we right. can fight off, uh, you know, 5,000 Chinese people who, who are not used to being given authority yeah. to come up with their own plan. For that's example. pretty much what happened in the Korean War, by the way. Um, Smaller, you know, if you look, if you go and look up uh, the, you know, people like Chesty Puller and other American heroes, the Korean War, who were basically attacked by waves of Chinese and held them off because they were, they had initiative, small teams, self-reliance, independence, you know, a, a, a much looser, a much looser um, 
a much looser sort of connection to the command. I mean, obviously the command is still there. The hierarchy is still there. Orders come from the top. But a lot more, um, you know, independence granted to smaller units. You know, something that I noticed um, between East and West, and this actually even relates to uh, Eastern Europe and, and Russia as being distinctly different from Western Europe and, mm. and uh, Australia, South Africa, uh, America, which is this idea of bonding where uh, when an American, I'll just, because I understand the American culture best, I'll just use that as an example. When mm. an American meets someone for the first time, they don't think to themselves, this person's a threat to me. This person, I need to watch out for them manipulating me. We actually mm. see a potential ally and we bond with that person fairly quickly to the point where we would exchange our personal information, our address, our phone number. Right. And we might even share our secrets and our, you know, like, hey, two guys, yeah. we'll talk about our wives and our problems together. We'll yeah. have some beers and just spill it all, you know, because you know what? You seem like a pretty cool guy. And, exactly. uh, and yeah. you're, you know, what do I have to lose? You know, basically that's how we see friendships yes. that you don't really have much to lose in the Eastern Europe, in Russia, mm. in uh, those types of cultures, they view a stranger as a potentially someone who could snitch on them and get them hurt. Yeah. Um, you know, this type of thing. So yeah. what ends up happening is that Americans have these lots of close friendships that are not actually that close. They're just kind of close because that's how we treat everyone. And then mm. with the Eastern side, they have these relationships where once they let someone into their inner circle, they become like yeah. a lifelong best friend. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. The Germans too, funnily enough, um, the Germans don't have as much, they, they have a much further personal distance to acquaintances and strangers than Americans, for instance. Um, yeah, exactly. Americans, I mean, I've sat in cafes in Amsterdam and chatted to American guys off the streets, literally. And within 10 minutes, we've decided, no, we must know, we must now go to the old town and have a drink somewhere else. Because, yeah, that's how we are. Um, <coughs> German guy, yeah, uh, some of the, even some of the German journalists I used to meet regularly on my trips to Europe. I would get to know these guys pretty well over several weeks of traveling around or reporting on conferences. Nah, still not, uh, I, you know, I still know nothing about them personally. Um, whereas, say, the Middle Eastern guys, I'd, I'd physically prevent a friend from Cairo from, like, inviting me back to his house because I happened to be in Egypt when he was there. And I couldn't because I, I had to catch a plane. But he was... Yeah, it, it was very difficult because, you know, I'd offered him a place, I'd genuinely offered him a place to stay when I seen him in, I think it was Barcelona. Yeah. And, um, and then when I bumped him in Cairo, he then reciprocated immediately and it was genuine and immediate and it was brilliant. And I, yeah, I still owe him. Yeah. I'm it. I owe you, bro. But, I promise. And, and how does we'll, this we'll do play, how does this how does this correlate to to uh, nation states and their allies? You know, do yeah. do these because I'm seeing a split between uh, Russia. Russia seems to be allying with the United States instead of China. What are your thoughts? Yes, yes no, that's true. Russia Russia is scared of China. China wants to invade Russia because China's done. China's economy is done. 
their mercantile economy and their biggest markets are going into the cemetery, you know, like India and nobody else wants to deal with them. So, yeah, China wants to invade Russia. In fact, China wants, wants to invade the U.S. They want Alaska. Um, Xi was caught on tape um, when he was flying out of the States last time he visited, saying, yeah, flying over Alaska. He says, yeah, we, we need to come and take this from the Americans at some stage. <laughs> so, so, so I'm nations, just wondering. Nation states are a bit harder because of, um, you know, the, the supranational powers behind the scenes. In other words, the NGOs, the secret societies, the, the international organizations that manipulate geopolitics. And almost all of them are a- against nationalism. I'm talking about the globalists. Right. They want immigration for everyone. They want, you know, one world governments, no nations, no, you know, all peoples. It's all, you know, new world order nonsense. So nations character since certainly since the early 60s has been severely diluted. Um, severely diluted. Uh, my folks knew America very well in the 50s and 60s because they actually lived in Canada and they visited the States regularly and they would not recognize the U.S. now. And we spoke about this a little last time. I was talking about the different regional characteristics of the U.S. Um, this is the I, McDonald's, McDonald's yeah, effect. Yeah, the McDonald's effect. I, I mean, in the mid-90s when I first went to the States, when I first started traveling to the States regularly, I could definitely see the regional character wherever I went. I mean, it's, I'm not saying it's not gone. It is still there, but it has been severely diluted by immigration, by corporatism, by globalism. You know, everyone has an iPhone. Everyone has a smartphone. That's much more of a sort of a, a homogenizing effect than you might imagine. Right. Um, now, we've and, talked about how, how China is a big player yeah. right now because – uh, yeah. They influence the DNC. They influence yeah. very strongly the, the media. They seem to think that they have they've bought and paid for both of those entities, and that therefore mm. they have a right to, you know, yeah. dictate yeah. all of the the talking points and and uh, platform points. Because that's how so, it works there. Yeah, that's how it works there. But they're not yeah. getting what they paid for, and they're probably pretty yeah. upset about it. Yeah. and they probably know that they're losing. And so there's this Achilles heel with the whole losing face thing is that you can cut a deal with them, right? How does that work? I'm not sure. Well, I know, just to add to your list, I know they've been trying to buy up Hollywood as well and haven't got very far. Um, but, yeah, there's been a lot of Chinese money pouring into Hollywood, L.A., surrounding so, areas. But, but if, if uh, but, like, let's yeah. say the, the Chinese come to the terms that this isn't going to work, Mm. Um, you know, Donald Trump is going to get reelected. They're going to have yeah. to sign whatever trade deal he tells them to, to sign. Uh, you know, what's going to make them toss in this the towel and, and, and surrender uh, that we can use this, this cultural uh, aspect of their personality yeah. to help them save face in the process? Well, it's interesting you say that. I think what, yeah, what, the Trump will do should it come to that is that he will he will do the deal but publicly he will make it look as though the Chinese actually won because Trump doesn't care he doesn't care about face but he's done this before with the Chinese I mean very early on he publicly praised President Xi for um, dealing with the pandemic quickly he did it was only much later that he started condemning him for lying and it was obvious that he was but early on he said 
very fast action. Well done, Mr. President. Um, good to see. You know, when when uh, North Korea, um, North Korea and and America, you know, when um, when the Korean People's Army was wiped out behind the scenes, and Kim started being allowed to actually run his own country for the first time ever. President Trump was very full of praise for China when he didn't need to be because the thing is China, China treats North Korea like their little bitch because it has been for decades. So, of course, North Korea talking directly to America is an insult to China. So Trump is kind of, you know, praising China and making sure they don't lose face in the whole negotiations. And somehow he managed to get away with it. I mean, Kim was secretly in Camp David in March. I know that for a fact. He was inking the deal on a historic agreement between North and South Korea, and we'll see that sometime this year. That will happen, or maybe early next year, because this year is quite busy in the U.S. as we've been talking about. Um, how you deal with yeah, how you deal with China is you negotiate hard, but you make it look publicly as though China actually won. China came out on top. I think that's the way to do it. Yeah, I don't know yeah. specifically what that. So would they don't look lose like. face. It's vital they don't lose face. Yeah, but maybe something like a deal on the table, like, hey, you, we won't prosecute these people in in your uh, party or something. Mm. Or do you think that they're going for like toppling, like regime change, like toppling the the, the communist no. party? No, I don't. No, I don't think so. No, it, um, the. The issue now with China is to stop it from declaring war on the rest of the world, because it might do. Um, you know, as it collapses, the, somebody high up, not at the very top, but somebody high up with new codes or whatever might decide to do something stupid. Um, <laughs> Big Dick Anon said a couple of weeks ago that, you know, if the Chinese try to do something stupid, Taiwan has six new nukes aimed right at Beijing, and they were made in Israel, and they worked. I mean, that was a direct warning um, to right. the Chinese, posted on 4chan, and uh, yeah, they got the message. But how yeah. much of how much of the CCP do you think is infiltrated by uh, the cult? No, no, they hate they hate the cult. No, the Chinese cannot stand the new world order. Um, they yeah, no no no. So you think the that Roth, the CCP no. is like a completely independent? Complete. The Chinese are for the Chinese. No, the Chinese cannot. The Chinese and the Russians hate the New World Order with a passion that's actually hard to put into words, probably even more than the Americans. Well, than then, Trump then why did the, the, the New World Order work so hard uh, for the last few decades to transfer all the wealth from the West to China? Well, because, manufacturing. That, because, it, because that, was a, that was a function of weakening the West rather than enabling China. Remember, they had this plan all along that China would catch a cold. They had it for, so, had it for probably 30 years. In that so, case, that makes China and the U.S. an ally against uh, deep state. Yeah, well, do you remember Trump's trip to the Far East in October, November 2017? Yes. He was fated in the Forbidden City. That never happens. Never. That was unprecedented. Melania wore a dress which became an instant national treasure. Trump's granddaughter speaks fluent Mandarin. She sang songs in Chinese to the premier at the dinner. Do you remember that? I and remember. I was actually I think I was in China around that time. And uh, and they were waving American flags on the street. Yeah. Like they were welcoming. Again, like that never happens. Not allowed. Yeah. 
No, Trump. Trump's tri um, trip to the the Far East. That trip was to say, guys, we are taking down the Rothschilds, Soros, the Queen, all the all the top uh, members of the pyramid, and we are your friends in this. So yeah, at the time, yes, but then uh, you know the the accident happened. Um, this is virus, kind of like the virus happened and things have changed. This is kind of like the ally that we had in the Soviet Union during the World War II, where right. it was and convenient will, and, to have and a and really powerful. You will, get back. you will get it back. Russia and, and America are actually much more similar than especially most Americans think. And I know Putin and Trump work very closely together behind the scenes on all sorts of things, because again, Russia is another nation that cannot stand the New World Order. Soros is permanently banned. Um, you know, the, yeah, they're just, they're a proud white nationalistic nation with a long cultural heritage. And then, you know, and Putin has come out openly and said, the new world order worships Satan. Sorry, I want right. nothing to do with it. So yeah, Ru Russia is going to be a very useful ally. Um, but it seems ally. that both China and Russia, they don't view Americans as an ally the way that Americans think of certain countries as allies. True. Uh, they won't commit to that relationship because they're so um, Machiavellian in their, their way of looking at like yeah. mistrusting and sus being suspicious of everyone. And I think yeah. that played out in Syria, being with Russia and America kind of playing yes. with, uh, enemies there. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, but meanwhile, of course, Trump actually wants the Russians to look after Syria because it's not his neighborhood. So you he, think that was just a way of us testing each other's military capabilities? That, no, that yeah, no, that was that was uh, that was uh, somebody bluffing Trump and him calling their bluff. Um, yeah, don't you know? Don't play games with me because I will, I will not hesitate to use lethal force if necessary. Um, but ultimately, it was very few casualties, considering that now. The U.S. is pulling out of the Middle East forever, and the Saudis and the Russians um, and the Israelis can look after it because it's their neighborhood, really. Um, it's not the U.S.'s, especially now the U.S. is in energy independence and is about to secure Venezuela's oil, um, which isn't great quality, but at least it's you know on your doorstep rather than being in the Middle East with all its tribal histories. Right. I mean, when you look at the entire world, um, you, you could be pretty happy just controlling the Western Hemisphere. <laughs> so, yeah, um, yeah exactly. it's, it's, a, it's, a huge, it's a huge territory. Um, and there's so much geopolitical, there's a, there's a power vacuum uh, right now in, yeah. in, in the entire Western Hemisphere. And so, of course, America would, would be the logical one to, to fill that. Um, well, Thank you for your thoughts on this. I think oh, we're definitely going to see if uh, the things that we're theorizing about are actually true regarding uh, Russia and China and the yeah. allies. And, um, and also with the public accountability, we'll see. Steve Bannon has said that perhaps CCP officials will be in like Nuremberg style trials. Uh, but you're saying mm. probably well, uh, we're not going for a regime change here. Yeah, I don't know. I don't see why other nations would have to worry about that. But, but look, maybe there are plans to do it. I think it's crazy. Um, I think 
especially if it's coming from the states. I don't think it's it's good enough to get rid of a six thousand year old death cult and then maybe deal with the communists later. Ex- yeah, exactly. All these things are sequence based. You've got to do one thing, then you move forward to the next and the next. Uh, the wheels turn slowly, but they do turn. Um, and yeah, there's a few wheels coming around right about now um, at home in the US. And that's going to be very interesting. Well, thank you for your time, Paul. Everyone check out Paul on Twitter. I'll put a link below. He has some very interesting threads, so you can uh, check those out. Thanks, Thanks Sean. Great to talk to you again. Cheers. Cheers. Did you know that you can get QAnon clothing and gifts for yourself, your loved one, and your child at the link below or at QAnonFAQ.com? You can spread the word about this movement and support this channel and its mission of truth in the Great Awakening. You might be surprised at the styles, colors, and merchandise we have available. The coupon code is temporary, so use the promo code QFAQ to shop at QAnonFAQ.com. If you would like to be a sponsor of my channel and reach 30,000 intelligent, patriotic, and selfless viewers every day, just email me at QAnonFAQ.com.